Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Uh, in 1992, teenage VHS bootlegger Sandy Tan and her fellow film geeks, Jasmine Ning and, and Sophie Siddiqui, shot Singapore's first road movie with their enigmatic American mentor, George. It's called Shirkers. Sandy wrote the script and played the lead S, a 16-year-old assassin collecting and then eliminating her own tribe. After shooting rap, George absconded with the footage. Years later, 16-millimeter Kodak film canisters show up at Sandy's home, now a novelist in Los Angeles on a personal and singular odyssey across two continents in search of George, the vanishing footprints, and her own. And that is the premise behind this wonderful documentary called Shirkers. And we are fortunate to have with us today the director of Shirkers, and that's Sandy Tan. Sandy, welcome to Film School. Hi. Hi. Hi film School. <laughs> <laughs> How are you today? I am fine. Uh, I had just, like, I've been on the whirlwind um, promotional tour for this film and, you know, been in London, um, L.A., New York, L.A., and then Singapore for three days, and then I'm here, like, just after all of that. So wow. I am barely awake, but very happy to be talking to you. Thank you, and, and I, I know from my own experience that I, you, I just saw you a few days ago in Los Angeles, so I can imagine that is been, it has been a whirlwind for you. Uh, I want to. I do want to touch on your your time in Singapore. Uh, I, I intended to ask you about that, but now that you've been recently there, um, I'd be very curious. Let's get into this film, this wonderful film, this kind of happy. I don't know if accident is the right word. I don't know exactly how to frame what happened to the film and what happened to you and what happened <laughs> to your life. I think it's life. <laughs> you think it's life? life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, then let's go with that. Life and. Um, Tell me a little bit about going back to, let's go back to 1992. You're growing up in Singapore. You have these friends. You're, you're starting to do things, including your fanzine. Let's, talk, let's sort of begin there and sort of work into how Shirkers came into being. Yeah, when I was this crazy, um, well, <laughs> like every teenager um, who's interested in the arts and music and movies. And um, in Singapore, it was a, it was a really hard place to kind of get access to the stuff you were fascinated by um so you had to make your own fun i i had a fanzine called the exploding cat that i made while you know my public facing self was um a straight a student in a very boring school and um you know and and then my inside facing self was a teenage punk um (laughs) i i made this the zine the exploding cat um in the spirit of the dada is of the 1920s, but when you put together a zine in the 1980s, as a data is using you know contemporary materials, it winds up looking like a punk zine. Um, and this was Exploding Cat, and and it became a cult <laughs> thing around the world. Um, um, this this the listings bible. This is pre-internet, by the way. I have to remind you, students who are much too young, to remember what this was like. And in fact, um, the zine probably was predates them even being alive. Um, so this is pre-internet. Um, there is there is nothing like that happening in Singapore. Um, and the the listings bible, um, fact sheet five. I wrote to them and sent them a copy of this exploding cat, and they were kind of fascinated by it. And then they wrote about it, and it became. Um, there's this sensation in the world, and I got like all these 
zinesters and punksters from around the world, Iceland, Japan, um, Columbus, Ohio, and people like that were writing for me for issues of the magazine, and, and I was sending them this thing throughout my high school, and it was like um, high school time, and it was like, mm-hmm. um, it was my version of the internet, and that was my exposure to the power of, of finding your tribe around the world, yeah. um, you know, finding your people back when you couldn't find them. And I had this small group of friends. We were all obsessed with the same things. Um, you know, we were obsessed with David Lynch, even though it was hard to find his movies. We were obsessed with J.G. Ballard. We were obsessed with all these things that were antithetical to what Singapore was about. But we And we we were our own tribe, and I was trying to expand it. And, you know, one way of, of doing this was, you know, trying to make a film. Yeah. There are uh, images from uh, Exploding Cat in the film, and they just look wonderful and alive and they look very much appropriate for where you were in your life and what you're going through just things that attracted you things that you thought were cool and it just looked like a lot of fun i'm sure you you just guys you and your your crew had a tremendous amount of fun putting it all together yeah yeah we did well so from there and you obviously we you, you touched on it your interest in film you had this connection to uh, a lot of iconic filmmakers in the sense that the, you you admired their work. Uh, where was the sort of uh, the, the switch that flipped for you that you said, I, I think I want to make a film? It was really hard to find those films. So I, I, I wanted to just say that, you know, the fact that these things were hard to find made them very, very attractive to me. Like, it was impossible to get hold of, say, Blue Velvet by David Lynch. You know, these films would never show in Singapore, which is very culturally conservative, and everything was censored. And, you know, and so I had to go on epic journeys to find even, like, to even get to see these movies. And that's also recounted in my film. Yes, when something is, like, I, I don't know, what was, what was your question again? I'm, I'm a little No, no, I just wonder where, what um, was the moment, if you recall? What, yeah, what was that sort yeah, of decision? Yeah, so, so I always wanted to, I was always playing movies that I wanted to make in my head. But they were only in my head. And the moment it became possible was like right after high school um, while waiting for college, there was this one filmmaking class that I saw advertised in the paper and it was going to be the first ever 16-millimeter filmmaking class in Singapore and that was being held at an art center run by this one mysterious guy named George Cardona. So, of course, I had to... To, to go to this class. And Jasmine, too, came along with me. And that's how we met Sophie, the third of our trio. Yes. We were all the youngest people in the class. We were 18. We became friends with George. Yeah. And and during in, in the taking of this class, you obviously saw something in George and in, in, and in your friends, as you, Jasmine and Sophie, that you connected with. And especially at this level of wanting to create art, you'd already done that. You already created art through Exploding Cat, but now you're now you're in exposure to film and somebody who knows how to shoot a film. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Is that? Is that? Yeah. Because 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 we were kids. I mean, I was a kid. I needed a grown-up accomplice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I knew what story I wanted to tell. I've been like writing film scripts and having all these ideas in my head all this time. But I needed a friend, right? No yeah. one's going to give you film equipment. No one's going to give you free film. Um, I needed some friend, like a grown-up, as I say, like a, an accomplice, yeah. to kind of be the grown-up friend for um, an endeavor like, like making a film. Yeah. So George was a perfect conduit. You know, he didn't initiate the project in this in this case. It was me. And, and George was somehow, he's also a very charismatic storyteller. And we, after the film class, the three of us, 
me, Jasmine, Sophie, and George would drive around the island just talking about movies. This was the germination yeah. how of, 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 of shirkers, like, you know, of me thinking that we could do something because George knew how to how to make it you know how to how to set up a camera how, what we needed to make a film with <laughs> and then we had um, the free labor of my friends <laughs> um, and everybody else like from high school that I could talk into this this crazy endeavor yeah, yeah. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Sandy Tan she's the director of this new wonderful documentary that will be premiering on um, Netflix. In fact, today it will be uh, de- debuting uh, October 26th on Netflix, so you can check this out. It had, it's had a fantastic run in the festival circuit, including winning uh, for Sandy a Best Director Award at the Sundance Film Festival in 2018, and been, it was widely regarded as one of the best documentaries of the year. So you should check it out. You'll have a chance to do that t- starting tonight. In addition to the fact that he was an adult who had access to this equipment and all the other, other things that you were going to need to make your movie, was there a shared vision that you felt like you you had with George? Did he see? Did he see David Lynch the same way you did? Did he see these sort of the vision of what you had in mind for the film? Did it sync up with what you were trying to accomplish, or did you really yes. know yes. if he did or not? Yes, no, I, I, precisely, I did. We, 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 we completely had, were on sync. Um, we're in sync. And the fact is, um, in the context of Singapore, in, in 1992, all the grown-ups around us were all, like, just completely not George. I mean, they were anti-George. <laughs> they, were, they were people, like, all they wanted to do was, um, you know, obey the rules, make money, um, and yell at their kids to get good grades, right? This was the world we lived in. And this is why George stood out for me. There was a man who a grown-up who kind of believed in my crazy ideas, didn't think I was childish or insane or, um, and it was, it was, a, it, was a, it was, he was a grown-up who actually saw me, you know, in, in the way that one wanted to be seen yeah. uh, as some, a creative talent and a, and somebody who, you know, was, was going to make things. Um, and he believed in me and he believed in my friends, um, you know, or so we thought. And, um, and so we went on this this whole journey together. Um, that was the context. Yeah, you know it's funny. Uh, you know, watching the film and watch and and hearing you talk from from that night at the, uh, the, the was the directors guild or writers guild. I can't remember. Any, writers guild. Writers yeah. guild. And I, I get the impression that uh, I mean the film feels like it was in the in the mode in the sort of reaching into that realm of the neorealists from the post-World War II Italian era, where they were just pulling people in to... They knew what the story was going to be. They needed a couple of elements that established that. But otherwise, it was just... It was almost fate would pull in the people that they needed to be a part of this grand experiment. Yeah. And, 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 is, and, and uh, Yeah, sorry. Is, and, and also a bit of... Um, I mean, really, the spirit of the French New Wave was... Um, infused the the film too in in that it was a, a mix of um you know comedy pathos right. and without any warning it would switch registers and that was what i loved about um those 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 kinds of films yeah well i don't want to i'm not sure how much i want to sort of i don't want to tell the audience too much about sort of the the arc of the story i want them to experience it the way i did but needless to say i think it's safe to say we can talk about you actually made the film you shot i love this the love there's one fact i want to i want to talk about a little bit but i love the fact that you only shot in the magic hour and you can tell our audience why but <laughs> do you actually made the film right Let, tell yeah, us a little we, bit about we the, shot the film yeah, yeah you shot the film i mean in, in, in the yeah um so we us kids and george um you know george was a very good 
DP. I mean, he yeah. he had a very good eye, and he was obsessed with the great DP Nestor Almendros, yes. who shot, um, you know, Days of Heaven. My and favorite. A bunch of the French. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite cinematography in the entire history of, of of cinema is Days of Heaven. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and and that was there was a lot of golden sunlight, magic yeah. hour shooting over there. Right. So in Singapore, which is on the equator, the light is incredibly flat and ugly. Um, almost, <laughs> almost. Almost every daylight hour, okay, except for the magic hour when, you know, day shifts to night. So around evening, twilight. But um, the, the problem is on the, on the equator, the light of the magic hour does not last an hour. It lasts only about 15 minutes. <laughs> um, so, you know, so we shot, like, we waited the entire day for our exterior, exterior shots. We waited almost the entire day for magic hour to shoot our exterior shots. I mean, so that's why we shot this film over mm-hmm. two and a half months. It took that long, and that's why he had to only work with a crew and a cast of kids who had the summer to spare, yeah. um, or who were crazy enough to, to do this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, so it took took us an enormous amount of time to be on location, which is like we shot at a hundred locations. Um, you know, traveling by bus and on foot, and George had one car, so it was like a bunch <laughs> of crazy kids doing this crazy like stuff and. You know, un- unfinished highways, uh, on railway tracks, you know, with no supervision, mm-hmm. um, dangerous uh, quarries. I mean, like, we were shooting like maniacs. Yes. Well, this is one of the things about Shirkers that comes through, and the, the way you're describing it as well is in the film, is that this is sort of naive exuberance of youth. And I love, I love just in watching the, and we don't, we're not, I don't want people to think we're going to see. You're not going to see Shirkers, the film. You're seeing Shirkers, the documentary about the film. And so we see, but we see enough clips in it that it has this kind of very quirky, it has all the elements that you would expect in a film by people who, by, by young people, young women who have not made a movie before, but have, have, have resources and have this beautiful sort of idea of what they want. And the way you went about it, it just th- this is so much about the story behind Shirkers is mm-hmm. how you went about getting all of this footage and how you shot it and and all of the different the biggest dog <laughs> the biggest dog on the in Singapore and all of the things that you were able to pull together is just a magical story and, and <laughs> it really yeah is. I think I, I think our greatest resource was was youth yes you know um, and I think you know your students listening to this they should remember not to squander it. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes con- I'm concerned that uh, uh, because I'm around students a lot um, that they're very serious about their careers and where they're going. And of course, it's understandable. It's a very tough job market, and with all the loans that they have to deal with, I get all of that. But I sometimes feel that they're being robbed of their youth in the process of of, the, of this sort of willing to make tragic errors in some ways mm-hmm. or make make mistakes along the way because yeah. those, that's what life is. Right? Yeah, and, and take risks because, yeah. you know, you need to, to have experience because otherwise once you're 40 or 50 or – and you will you will get there. I mean, you it, yeah. life, you know, life yeah. happens to you. Uh, time moves and, ahead and, and you will be 40 someday. You, you do not want to be a 40-year-old thinking that you had not lived or had not done something. So I think when you're young, you just got to go for it, yeah. you know, and take risks. Well, I w- let's talk – I don't – again, I'm going to leave it to your uh, your – your good counsel here as to far, how far down the road I want to talk about sort of specifics, but let, do we? Uh, I'm going to talk about George, and that at some point do we want to talk about what happened to the raw footage of Shir- of Shirkers? I think that's an important part of telling the story. But you tell me how much you 
feel comfortable discussing. No, I mean, um, um, just whatever you want okay. to talk about. Well, yeah. you, you shoot the film, you go through the whole process, you, you've, yeah, you've pulled in these all these amazing people into the film, you're telling the story of S and the assassination and all that kind of stuff that's going on, the intrigue of it, kind of a Bond-esque sort of thing going on. And then, um, and then George has the canisters of 16-millimeter films, and he, tell us, tell, tell us what happened. Um, <laughs> uh, he vanishes, <laughs> yes. um, with, with, you know, after this elaborate thing that we shot for two and a half months with a hundred, you know, extras and a hundred locations, you know, a, a gargantuan, um, undertaking for, for kids in Singapore, you know, working for free for a summer. And, you know, like my dream really of, of, yeah. it was a collection of, you know, my favorite places and faces. And I thought this was going to be a catalog of everything that meant something to me and that would, you know, eventually be, 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 be in a form that can be shared with the rest of the world of showing this kind of magical place, um, you know, and, and, and in, this, in, this, in this crazy form. Yeah. And um, when this is taken away from me, it, it was a black hole. Yeah. It just left a black hole in our lives. Um, and... Yeah, so this is what happened. Well, and then it's also t- kind of a time capsule of, of Singapore. It's a lot of it's a lot of a lot of emotional investment as you're describing. There's just so much about it, and I know we don't have a whole lot of time, so I want to kind of cut to some of the, the elements of you. You then sub, somewhere in the well, we know later on what what happened. What shows up at your door un, unexpectedly? Is that even a good way? To um, put it? Yeah. So on September 11th. 2011, you know, the 10th anniversary of a significant date, um, I received an email from a name in the past, and um, this person says, I have something you may may be interested in getting back. Um, You know, maybe it's closure or something. Um, So these boxes start arriving in my house um, over the next few months, and they contain um, many things, including the 70 cans of um, 16-millimeter film that vanished from my life more than 20 years ago, oh, 20 years ago, actually, yeah. um, and everything else. So everything came tumbling back, and it was like a ghost, a monster that had to be dealt with. Okay. And it's 700 minutes of film, so now you have to sort of try to figure out what you're going to do with it. Oh, it's, I, I, I feel like in some ways it, we, we maybe want to leave it there because, mm-hmm. because it, it's in the telling of the story in Shirkers that we find out you know, you going, how that you sort of process all of this, how you go back into, you know, into your past and, and, and pull these people back into your lives. It, it's quite a journey, Sandy. Yeah. It's really a beautiful journey, imaginative. And so, like so many other films that I'm, documentary films I've been in love with for years, uh, it tells a story that you couldn't have made up on your own. You couldn't have yeah. couldn't have imagined this. I always refer to Genghis Blues as a as as a, as a touchstone of film that I couldn't imagine anyone imagining that to be uh, even possible. And this is a very much along the lines of that film for me. It just couldn't have been written. It couldn't have been thought up until it happened. And there's thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And there's we haven't even gotten into some of the technical stuff that you had to overcome and all of the things that you dealt with. You come through this experience. Uh, you're a, you're a, a novelist. You're, you're you've become a, a great writer. You've you've it seems like you've really incorporated all of these experiences, all of the risks you took, into something very <clears throat> to, excuse me into something very beautiful, and something that you can share with the world, which which is a, a better place for it. So I. I uh, want to th- really, truly thank you for the film, and, and thank you uh, for being here on Film School today. 
Thank you. Thanks for, uh, and, and I hope you guys watch the film. <laughs> yep. Thank you so much for, for having me. This was great fun. Thank you, Sandy. Again, the film is premiering tonight, October 26th, on Netflix. You can watch it. Watch it. I'm not asking. I'm telling. And and also and enjoy it and uh, continue success. And I don't know if you have a you see yourself continuing in the realm of filmmaking, but uh, I certainly of feel course. okay. There you go. Good deal. Very good. Uh, thank you, Sandy. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.